Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you again. We, As we approach the great Yontif. Yeah, boy. And thank God that that terrible sadness and pressure that we were feeling in the days before last Pesach, we are not feeling. I know it's not 100% yet, and believe me, we'd like everything to be back to normal. But it will be a completely different Yontif than it was last year. At least we've had that. That's true. We didn't have a vaccine. We didn't. Uh, everything was unknown completely, and we, the schools were all closed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to, to think that it was already a year. It is... Unbelievable to think that it's been a year. Uh, the The news story that you and I likely could spend the entire morning speaking about and practically ignore everything else is that dozens of fragments of a Dead Sea Scroll bearing biblical text have been found by archaeologists working in the Judean desert. The fragments were recovered from a cave where Jewish rebels against the Roman Empire hid around 1900 years ago this is an official government issued statement in addition to all those in the area of archaeology who've commented on this malcolm remind us why this is one of the most important news stories of the day well i think that people generally agree that the 20th century's greatest uh, archaeological discovery with the dead sea scrolls which were found in the caves near qumran uh, and then uh, recently they've been finding that the uh, that and, and you know they're subject to looting by uh, Arab looters have been for many decades and maybe earlier looting these caves, some of which are very difficult to get to. And this is the cave of horrors, which you have to rappel down ropes in order to get into it. And there they found that uh, these fragments of um, of Svarim, of of very ancient written in Greek, by the way, with the exception of one word that is in Hebrew, which is the name of God. And they uh, believe now that there are many other remnants that can be found yet because of the dryness of the air. It's all it preserves. One of the things, by the way, they found was a basket that they say could be 10,000 years old, whatever, but it's certainly the oldest basket ever found and found intact. And they said it's something you could have seen in the Shuk in, in Yerushalayim, in the Machna Yuda or someplace today. Uh, they also found hordes of coins from uh, Bar Kokhba rebellion. And the um, so they have now, and for the last few months, been mapping all of these uh, caves. And because of it, when because of their activity there, the looting is diminished. And they uh, believe that because of new technologies and stuff, they're able to find additional Dead Sea Scrolls, which give us a, a more complete picture of Svarma like Treyasar and others that uh, uh, that these fragments uh, contain. So it's it's so monumental, it's, it's uh, hard to believe that these things from more than 2,000 years ago uh, remain intact, that our generation should inherit it. And for those who deny our claim to the land and the Jewish claim and presence, there's nothing better proof than that something it's a document and a deed of 2000 years ago um what does it say about the resilience of the uh, jewish world especially or members of the jewish community especially back then i mean the it, all of this is because of the desire <laughs> not just the physical uh um if there was an, an intentional burial of these items that's one issue but just the fact that the whole story the story as a whole 
tells us about the resilience of the Jewish people and how they wanted to make sure to isolate themselves so they would be able to continue their tradition and heritage and be safe from the enemy. The whole story is one of such great historical context. It is, and it fits into a much larger context about, uh, um, you know, the the message that was sent to them that that you're uh, the same one that Moshe gave to to the to the Bnei Israel that wanted to stay on the other side of the Yarden. Right. You're going to your brothers will go to war and you stay here. They sent the same almost identical message was found um, regarding the people who were in the caves and hiding out uh, away from the the Romans and the rebellion. Uh, there in the relative safety they thought in in the Negev, and these things which were put into um, pottery in clay uh, containers, which also helped preserve it, uh, really is a message to future generations, and our generation is the one that is benefiting largely from it. Yeah, and now of course we have so much technology that allows us to you know to to um, uh, preserve. Items, photos, etc., forever. But it's also, um, you know, that there are X-rays now that they can do because you couldn't unfold a lot of these uh, things that would crumble and oh. stuff. So now that they have technology where they can, and they can also see on, on parchment or, or fragments that they thought were blank, they're now able to discern the writing that you know from two thousand years ago. The oil, the the, the paint, um, ink uh, dissipates. So they're able now to determine it and to, to read it. Isn't that unbelievable? These are discovered during an era when that's possible. It, 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 no such thing as coincidence, obviously, but it's amazing that they're discovered at a time when the, the, when the, when the machinery and technology you just described has been created and can go ahead and, and actually x-ray and read those documents. Right. It's pretty amazing. What's it like, Malcolm? And you know I'm a sucker for this stuff, although it's not the most important question. What's it like because you've seen it? When these archaeologists discover what they discovered, they must be in seventh heaven. Well, this is is, is really so significant. I know for a lot of people, it may seem uh, esoteric. It is not at all. This is rediscovering our heritage, and for for them, after uh, many years where no new discoveries were made, this opens up all new vistas of hope that we will find. And who knows what is in some of the caves that have not been breached yet and have not been uh, looted right. over the years. Uh, and of course, when the enemy tries to deny our history or specifically uses certain geography to say the Jews have no connection to this place or that place, all of this helps in that argument. Not that we really even need to argue, but unfortunately, you've told us we have no choice but to argue back about it. Absolutely. I mean, this is, as I said, it's the deeds to, to, yeah. to our past and the uh, revelations. And people should read just the articles about these discoveries, what each of the fragments, and they and they all like are pieces to a puzzle, and some of them add to the existing uh, Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in, in that are in Yerushalayim, in the, in the um, uh, shrine of the book, that uh, help fill in the blanks. So each of these things contributes to to so much more to our understanding of Tanakh and of the original versions that, that may have been changed over time. All right, so we've dealt with the past of the Jewish people. How about the future of the Jewish people this coming Tuesday? It's not just the JMDM pre-Pesach program this Tuesday. It's also an election in the state of Israel. And I know that you warn us every time about polls in advance, but it is interesting to see that these days before this most recent election, Netanyahu is, it seems, is picking up steam right now. 
well, he's certainly campaigning very hard and, and seemingly effectively, and um, his opponents do not seem to be catching fire. Uh, and everybody who came out of the gate every time a new party was announced, some of which have completely disappeared already, um, you know, they jumped to, to uh, double digits in the predictions that they will be mobilized the left, the right, uh, will be a challenge. And in the end, we see that uh, Netanyahu still is in the lead, that he seems to be gaining a little bit, and that they, their prospects of a... Uh, of a government between him and Bennett or him and others, even though Bennett says he won't serve under Netanyahu and all of the other things. It, it, it may be that it's not conclusive. Whether they can get to 61 is still not clear. Uh, but uh, I think a big factor will be the stay-at-home vote. I think a big factor will be people uh, who can't get back to Israel because of the travel restrictions and the difficulties. Uh, and I uh, just fatigue, just people, fourth election fatigue. People are already talking about the fifth election in September. Unbelievable. Now, I, I really don't remember the atmosphere before the first three of this series of elections, but is, is he in the in the best position? I mean, a few days before each election, I don't think anybody was ready to definitively say he really is on the road to forming a government. Is it a little bit different now? Uh, I can't say between before each of the previous three in the last two years. I, I, I think the fatigue factor grows each time, uh, and the demonstrations against him have been sustained. But it, it seems that the bulk of the people, uh, or the largest percentage, uh, are still standing with him, and that nobody has given them an alternative that uh, is overwhelming enough. I think Bennett surprising people in Sire's numbers have gone down to single digits and right. others who are not even making the threshold right. or potentially couldn't make the may may not make the threshold. Right, but I'm I'm just trying to think of the first 3. It, it just I think it had more of an atmosphere of a real deadlock compared to this one. I don't know, I could be wrong. I, be, I could no, be... Well, yes, when blue and white came right. out first. Right. Yes, right. I think people saw it as a more credible challenge. Correct. Now, someone writes to me the following, um, that due to corona, there'll be at least 300,000 votes that won't be counted until about 36 hours after the polls close. Now, you know that we anxiously await, and in this case, it would be if the polls close at 9 p.m., then, uh, you know, it would be 3 o'clock here. It's a six-hour difference, and we usually have some type of indication. But is this, in fact, what's going to happen now, that because of corona, this going to be a much slower election counting, voting counting process? Um, it's in part because of corona, but I think that the um, because of the margins we're talking about, I don't know that a clear trend will emerge mm. the next day, even by the next day or the day after. Right. And they have to wait till the army votes are counted, and you know all the foreign votes, the diplomats, everybody who votes abroad. But the uh, but we'll have some idea by I think ten o'clock New York time. Um, some idea, of, you know, the exit polls will tell us even earlier. Uh, what um, what they believe the people are saying in the exit polls, even though they usually pro- prove to be pretty much off, and the um, but it could be months before we know if there's a government. Right. Yeah, I get that. I always forget. It's what what you get thirty. You get sixty days to form, right? Sixty. You get sixteen. You get an extension, and right. uh, or it's thirty and an extension. Right. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be at Sukkot before they start. <laughs> So crazy out there. Sure, for sure. It's going to be similar in a way to what happened in the U.S. election, because obviously what happened overnight after Election Day was quite significant over here. We, we may face the same thing over there if, if they're, you know, if they're behind in counting that what what happens overnight, Tuesday night into Wednesday could be really significant. 
uh, in terms of the election results. So we'll, we'll, we'll pay even more attention, or I should say we'll pay longer attention uh, to the immediate election results in Israel than we normally would. It looks like it's going to take a while before we have some type of uh, indication. Um, is the election causing any changes in policy? Uh, are, are the skies officially open now from Israel, the airport, etc.? I mean, what we... Cynic, what yes, cynically, someone said to me on Sunday night, who knows something about what goes on in Israel? Cynically, they said to me that the moment this election is over, you will see open skies because Bibi is worried about one thing, that there not be a surge in any type of uh, corona situation between now and Tuesday. After that, hey, you know, he's ready to open up and get society back to normal. I mean, I know it sounds cynical, but is that where we're where we're heading at this point? A little point? too cynical, uh, but they are. Israel's headed to towards herd immunity. They hope with the number of the vaccinations and the seven million people target. Um, they are opening up slowly the various restrictions, but to understand and to be honest with people about the flight um, conditions, no one knows. No one can project what will be after Pesach. There are limited people. I get many calls every day, and I have to tell people there's very little you can do. I have to say the embassy, U.S. embassy, has made a lot of problems for people, and the consulate in Jerusalem giving passports people wait also too long, and all sorts of complications in some cases where it's really an emergency. We, we, we've been some cases been able to help, but many not, and many people are afraid of, of if they go, whether about coming back. And the whole right. question of, of those who are in seminaries and yeshivas and in yep. colleges there goes. I mean, there's just too many unknowns. And even when you get guarantees, you can't depend on it. <laughs> there is no, yeah, there are no guarantees, yep. and we don't know whether people will be subject to a quarantine and what they, you know, if, if people have to be vaccinated. And, oh, there are all sorts of conditions, and I get memos all the time on it, and it's impossible to figure it out and to anticipate what the conditions will be. Right but- now, um, people... I think are, are getting more Israelis are certainly getting permission to go back. Uh, the, the number of flights has been cut because they cut to 3,000. The number of Israelis can come back each day. And uh, that those numbers, I think, will pick up. I, I would assume by Shavuos we will see tourism really starting to open up. And uh, the, God willing, this summer, people will be able to go. Oh, would that be amazing? Maybe even Shavuos. Maybe they'll be able to actually I, spend I the end. No, no, right, I'm saying maybe then you know it'll be as open as we would anticipate for the summer, which would be amazing. Uh, finally, on the election, I'll move on in a second, but I, I don't even know if you know the answer to this, but BB actually made or produced an English commercial. Is this the first campaign where he's done that, where he's actually um, uh, produced a commercial aimed at Anglos living in Israel? Uh, that's a good, good, it's a good trivia question. Yeah, about whether it's I, I the wonder. First time. I don't I, know if I've I, heard I, of it before. I can't believe that that it is. But this time, there's been a lot of focus on the Anglo vote, and because the margins are so thin, the competition for it. You know, Bennett also appeals to them, and he speaks English well. Right, the others, right. Um, that Bennett the, was not nearly as influential in the prior campaign, right? Good right, point. and the. Um, uh, the fact is that that they they try to in, in, include in the lists people who would represent the um, Anglo or diaspora communities who now live in Israel right. or now Israelis, but um, it, it's uh, they, yeah they, they got knocked off some of the key 
um, Knesset members of the past who who spoke to those communities and for those communities did not get included. Yeah, it was inevitable. I just didn't know if it happened before. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com and the NahumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. I know we concentrate on Israel and the Jewish world, but Malcolm, you got to give me comments about these two uh, these two situations. What do you think of the U.S.-China dust-up yesterday? It's disturbing because you don't know how much of it is is uh, controlled or or is it is it um, uh, part of a of a deliberate process because they went then into private talks which they say right. were more constructive. Right. But we had two we had several dust ups over the past few days. Uh, look, China's relationship is very critical. China is also moving very aggressively and increasingly so, by the way, in the Middle East. China has good relations with Israel. Uh, China has very good relations with Turkey, but they also buy oil from Saudi Arabia. They, they, they are only exploiting for their interests, their economic interests, as they do in Africa, they do around the world. But they um, and and there are no moral standards for it, meaning that they, that they can get, work with con- countries that are engaged in the worst human rights. Uh, right. since, uh, and they are involved with the Uyghurs, with other things mm-hmm. uh, that raise questions um, about how they treat their own citizens and people who, who don't want us to do much business with them. On the other hand, they're a critical factor, and we, are, we have increasingly divergent interests in the South China Sea, in, in Asia, but around the world as they move with this road and belt to extend their influence, moving towards Europe, certainly in, in the Mediterranean area, and they fill any void. You know, they have tankers going from the same day from Turkey and from Saudi, uh, from uh, Iran and from Saudi Arabia to uh, back home. And, uh, you know, they have uh, endless uh, desire and appetite for, for energy, uh, but they also are using their sovereign wealth to invest and to build up their economic base in, in other countries. Do you think Israel's going to regret uh, all the economic freedom or business freedom they've given China over the last 15, 20 years in Israel? Well, they're under a lot of pressure from the United States to restrict it more. And as you know, the Haifa port was going to be uh, sold to, to to management and to taken over by a, a Chinese company. And they, the U.S. said that they would not call it that port anymore if that were the case because they felt that security interests would be um, endangered. Uh, the, Israel, the Chinese are in, in Israel every week. They buy into companies, you know, from everything from dairies to high tech, and they they recognize that Israel has so much to offer, and is, and they have the money and the finance, and and a lot of the high tech companies manufacture in China. So there is there are really intricate relationships uh, that are involved, and the number of scholars who go from China and study in Israel. Uh, and I, I spoke at two universities uh, who have Hebrew departments, and uh, in, in China, and, and there are many more who have them. There's a fascination with Israel and with uh, with Jews, even though Judaism is not a recognized religion in China. There are only five, but right. the growth of, of certainly Chabad in about 15 cities or more uh, reflects, uh, the, the, and the number of businessmen, Jewish businessmen, who are there continues to escalate. I uh, I saw Shlomo Katz's Zoom kumzits with members of the Chinese community, not Jewish community, members of the China community that he was doing with uh, people he had met who had an interest in Israel and Judaism. The whole thing is simply unbelievable. The other one i got to ask you about is uh, in this corner, Joe Biden, mm-hmm. in the, this corner, Vladimir Putin. What do you think of that one? 
That's, uh, it's again, of concern because, uh, you know, the relationship with uh, Russia is very uh, sensitive, and they recalled their ambassador uh, at a protest, um, and, you know, the president was asked, he didn't volunteer this, but he was asked, is he a killer? And he said yes, and he said he's not going to apologize for that. And Putin's answer was, you have to be one to know one, and this tension is is escalating. I think it's it's got to be of concern. Remember, we have very intricate uh, relationships, positive and negative, with uh, with Russia. They have engaged in extensive maneuvers. They even did them with Iran. Uh, they've done it with other uh, countries that are of concern to us. Uh, they've had extensive maneuvering near Alaska. They are a, a power. We have to see how they are escalating their their spread, achieving things that. Even under the czars, they didn't with their naval bases in Syria, in their involvement in Libya, their involvement in the Red Sea. I mean, it is, uh, you know, it's not to be dismissed. And Putin, while he doesn't have a strong uh, hand to play because the economy is so weakened, et cetera, but he's very shrewd in the way that he's able to, to utilize it and to uh, assure Russia's role and and dominance in in many areas. On top of that, he has the capability, as we saw yesterday, to make a joke of the president of the United States. I mean, he put the role in Syria. I mean, they 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 line up with Turkey against Iran. They line up with Iran against Turkey. They line up. They they align against both of them. And they they their minimal investment, um, although it's the cost has has grown and there's perhaps less support for it than than there was, but. They, they, you know, they are, they are in critical places in in Israel. Their relationship is good with Israel, and they, they have. A, Putin has told me that, you know, they have a best interest. That he wants to hold Arafat. You attack Israel, you're attacking Russia. There's a million of my people there, etc. But Russia pursues its interests, and they do it in the way that is least expensive, but that plants its flag as it is in Libya and other places and wherever they feel the United States is withdrawing they move in isn't true you, you, you got it uh, Malcolm if you don't mind just, I don't know if you have to move closer to the base we're, we're losing you in terms of the phone connection but but every time but you keep saying that you know Russia's looking out for its interest but it, they, it always looks like conflicting interests and you just outlined that for us they're taking both sides in almost every conflict Yes, so you got it right. Russia, no, but I'm saying that's their... You don't, that, have, you don't look for consistency in any of these things because you're not going to find it. No, I get that. But when you say, you know, look out for their best interests, I, I assume you mean that today our best interest is to be on this country's side and tomorrow our best interest is to be on this country's side. I mean, that's... Or, or to be on both countries' side when they can. <laughs> look, they, they, they pulled off the coup because they can claim that they brought peace between Armenia and Azerbaijan, even though Armenia is their ally, but the Azeris got the better of the deal. But they negotiated. It kept Iran out in the process. Turkey obviously got in. Israel was tangentially in. <clears throat> so they, they are able to, to move in, in these regards with greater freedom. And he doesn't, you know, he's not held to account by, uh, by a parliament, although we've seen the demonstrations inside Russia against him as well. So there is a public opinion that develops, but they know how to control it. Yesterday, your daily alert, um, the headline was the IAEA's uh, uh, assessment that Iran is enriching uranium with new advanced centrifuges at an underground plant in Iran. I mean, this is, I know that I'm 
expressing impatience regarding a United States decision about how to proceed regarding the Iran deal. But again, as I said last week and the week before, it just seems that that these delays benefit only one country, and that's Iran. So I know you're you are right when you reassure us that it's a bad idea to jump into an agreement or you know to at least give President Biden and his staff time on this. But again, as the IAEA points out, Iran just takes advantage of these delays. Well, they're moving on many fronts. They, they, they uncovered an underground ballistic missile site that um, is operational. Um, with the four new launching positions that have been seen uh, from satellites, each of which can launch two ballistic missiles. We know that they uh, have tried to export more and more sophisticated equipment to their allies, the Houthis, Hamas, Hezbollah, trying to get them to be independent in the manufacture of more sophisticated guidance systems, for instance, for their missiles. That's why Israel's hitting in Syria, because we know that Mahan Air, which is Iranian, and the Syrian Air Force and others were flying ammunition and equipment, and Israel uh, hit the storage uh, facilities, and you saw the big explosions that came with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Iran is moving you know, on; they're installing the more advanced uh, centrifuges, each of which means that they can produce much more enriched uranium much faster. The breakout time continues to shrink. I know it doesn't mean anything when I tell people about the new cascades and the the IR three, the IR four centrifuges. That no, that that may not mean anything, but we understand time. And but it's the outcome that make yes, yeah. it's the outcome that uh, makes the difference. And you see how they are their militia are stepping up their attacks. Let's say in 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 Yemen against both against the Saudis and Iraq against the United States in in everywhere and they're constantly trying to build up their their presence in in these countries as they are in Africa and around the world it's a, it's a global um uh, problem and the they are facing an election that's coming soon too it's not a question of whether it be hardline but it's a question of hardline versus more hardline right. and likely in the next presidency they will have a, 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 a choice of a new supreme leader as well. So the, the uh, they're going through um, problems. The economic issues are great because of the rise of the price of oil, especially after the airstrikes from the Houthis against Aramco facility, the largest um, facility in Arabia. Uh, they have a little bit of a respite with money, but they are desperately in need of the billions of dollars. But they're giving the Americans a, a rough time who are anxious to get back to the negotiating table, but saying you have to, and I credit the administration that they're sticking by their guns, that Iran has to move first. But the uh, Iranians are saying, no, the United States has to has to move first. But they also have internal pressures about not appearing to, to give in to the U.S. So... Um, there's so much to be said about um, just the Iranian issue. Uh, and, you know, Hezbollah delegation visited Russia this week. Lavrov visited the Gulf. The, the um, relationships are so intricate, and the um, shipments that are taking place in the presence and whether the United States is perceived to be reducing its its uh, footprint in the, in the region also impacts strongly what the other side will do. Unbelievable. Two quick things, although I know that these two issues are never quick. Um, is there a delay in the International Criminal Court investigation of Israel? No. 
Are they giving Israel some type of opportunity that I read about to to challenge or to protest? Or well, everybody has a right to challenge or protest, mm-hmm. but the decision was made to go ahead with the investigation, even though we have a new. There is a new uh, prosecutor chosen who will start in June. The current prosecutor has decided to initiate it, and it has begun. And it is an outrage, and they have no they have no jurisdiction. They haven't got jurisdiction over Israel. The, the Palestinians have no uh, right to bring it the case. They don't have any standing. Um, we've talked about it before. But the the case is proceeding. And finally, it's not the case. It's the preliminary investigation right. determining whether the case will be heard. And, and finally, we keep reading about and hearing that Saudi Arabia and others are nearing a deal with Israel. I understand that you know, in the context of history, we need to be a little bit more patient. I get it, but I mean. Is is this really happening? Is Saudi Arabia going to pull the trigger on this when you know what the reaction in the Arab world is going to be if they go ahead and and normalize diplomatic relations with Israel? So if you set the standard at opening an embassy in Jerusalem before normalization, that will probably take some time. There are negotiations going on with several countries right now. But look at the developments that, that have taken place. I gave a speech uh, for the U.N. Association of Civilizations this week and talked about the rise of anti-Semitism and, and pointed out that the brightest note is in the Arab and Muslim world. Mm. You see in Europe and everywhere else where governments are not taking the steps necessary, even if they pay lip service. But Egypt introduced a new a new curriculum, which is mandatory for their students, part of their their grade average. Which whereas some of the Quranic studies are no longer, they removed the Quranic verses from secular subjects. But this talks about the common values of Islamist Christianity and Judaism, and uses Jewish uh, uh, sources. They have changed the textbooks. They are rehabilitating the religious sites. The the textbooks in Saudi Arabia and UAE similarly going through changes. Morocco radically changed and opening, rebuilding the the Jewish heritage sites, and all the cemeteries were rehabilitated. They're talking about major conferences there. They teach about the Holocaust. There are so many changes that we can uh, see that the UAE opening up a $10 billion investment fund in Israel. Egypt is going to have 21 flights a week to Israel and this summer, the things that were unthinkable that, and of course, good news doesn't get much notice, yeah, but it true. is remarkable that, that with the surge of anti-Semitism globally and stuff, that there is a change taking place. And now we see also, by the way, Israel this week had joint maneuvers with the United States, naval maneuvers, naval maneuvers with France, Cyprus, Greece, and in Israel, uh, air maneuvers together with the British Royal Air Force, and and this is in one week. And when we talk about some of the changes that are taking place, and you know, I've worked for more than a decade on the Mediterranean Initiative and 20 years on the Gulf Initiative. Now we're seeing it merge. I mean, it's these are potentially massive changes, and hopefully the administration will take advantage and will support it. They they did pay uh, um, strong, they expressed strong support to, to the uh, expanding the Abraham Accords, but they're real. There are real implications of it. So as we always look to the to the negatives, that we, and there are more than enough, um, and more than we, we even can touch on in, in a conversation like this, These are really positive developments. No question about it. Next week, Malcolm's advice of what we should be telling our children and grandchildren at the Seder. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week.
Yeah, we won't, but but everybody should have a Oh, we won't speak next week. It's Aravyantiv, so I will not be here. Oh, but. that's disappointing. When, when do we even do our message of what to tell our children and grandchildren at the Seder? <laughs> I think we gave him enough messages today that will last him for the two weeks. You're probably right about that. Have a chag kosher v'sameach, and we thank you. Malcolm Holine, of course, is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents. Major American Jewish Organizations joins us Friday's weekly update here at JM and the AM. And now that I have my schedule uh, a little bit more straight than I did a minute ago, <laughs> I would assume that our next weekly update, please God, uh, will take place on the 9th of April. Um, uh, the 9th of April, which is uh, uh, the Friday after Pesach, please God. Unless Malcolm has some type of uh, travel commitment for Yom HaShoah or something like that, we'll find out.